Okay, good morning, everyone. We've got a special treat this morning. Patrick Zucharin, a friend of mine, uh, is going to be sharing a message. Some of you may know him. Some of you may know of his ministry, Evidence and Answers. He'll share a little bit about it. But uh, he really uh, brings some evidence and answers as to why we can trust the Bible. We teach the Bible here. We, have, we study it in our Ohana groups. We encourage you to read the Bible every day. Just let God speak to you at least four times a week to get in the habit of that. And uh, the question should be asked, well, can we trust that this really speaks to my life today? And uh, maybe you have some doubts about that. And I want to say, that's great. Doubts are welcome. This is the place to discuss our questions and our doubts about the Bible or about Jesus or anything like that. I mean, that's fair. And uh, so I, I'm thinking this morning, uh, you're going to have that some evidence maybe that you weren't aware of as Patrick shares. And he's got more to share than he has time for. So I'm going to get out of the way and let Patrick come. Welcome, Patrick, would you? Well, good morning. As Pastor Arnold shared, uh, I work with the Ministry of Evidence and Answers. We're a Christian apologetics ministry. Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. Answers the question, how do you know Christianity is true? We're designed to proclaim the gospel by presenting the compelling evidence for Christ. We think the evidence for the existence of God the Bible being an accurate word of God, Jesus being the divine son of God, is very compelling. <clears throat> so in our post-Christian culture, often it's not enough just to share the gospel. You've got to give good reasons why they should take you seriously. <clears throat> we have a daily show. You can join us, 99.5 FM, Monday through Friday. And Fridays at 4 p.m. Uh, also Saturdays at 12.30 where I get to interview some of the top scholars in the world on all kinds of issues, from medical ethics to science to Islam to Buddhism, uh, and also some debates with some of the top athe uh, most popular atheists who are out there. So a great resource for you there. Also, <clears throat> I am now the Thursday host. Duke Iona, our former lieutenant governor, hosts a radio talk show, 4 to 6 p.m. on uh, KKNE. 9.40 a.m., and I'm the Thursday guy, and he allows me unashamedly to teach about uh, issues of the culture from a Christian worldview perspective, as well as to present the gospel and the evidence for Christ. So it's a live call-in show, so uh, if you're listening, call on in and join in on the fun. And I teach classes throughout the year, throughout the state. So go to our website, Evidence and Answers, and, <coughs> and see where we're having some of our classes with our Evidence and Answers Institute. Mm. Now, if you study the world religions, you know that many books claim to be divinely inspired. The Bible claims to be the uniquely divinely inspired Word of God. Jesus Christ claims to be the unique, one and only, divine Son of God. Both make amazing claims, and both confirm their claims 
in amazing ways. Jesus claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed his claim through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. The Bible claims to be the Word of God, and it's only the Bible that has presented its case with supernatural confirmation. So this morning, we're going to go through some, just some of the evidences for the divine inspiration of the Bible. <clears throat> and you will find that the Bible is a very unique book. There's no other like it. Search all the libraries of the world. You won't find a book like the Bible. Now, the first evidence we look at is called the unity argument. <clears throat> and it's simply this. There's no book that has such a diversity, yet such a unified, coherent message. The Bible is written by over 40 different authors from every walk of life. You have an educated rabbi, an, an, an educated fisherman. You have a prince and a king. You have an uneducated country shepherd. You've got over 40 different authors from very different backgrounds writing on three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa, under very different circumstances. The New Testament writers write while under the rulership of Rome. David is writing under the golden age of the Israeli nation. Moses and others are writing while wandering in the deserts of Sinai. Very different circumstances over a 1,500-year period. Okay, with that diversity, you've got something quite amazing, a consistency of theme. One theme, the glory of God and the redemption of mankind. A consistency in numerous deep philosophical theological issues. What explains the origin of the universe? The nature of God. The nature of man. When does life begin? Why is there evil and suffering? Deep theological philosophical issues. And the Bible does not contradict itself. Hey, that's quite amazing. Now, <clears throat> let me give you an example. Suppose we took 10 medical students who graduate from the same medical school in the same year. And let's have them write four extensive papers on some controversial issues, okay? Euthanasia, abortion, homosexuality, and genetic engineering. Would they agree with one another on every point? Highly, highly unlikely, okay? If they did, it would be really amazing. Well, the Bible, you've got over 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period writing on three different continents, under very different circumstances, and they do not contradict themselves. The consistency and the coherence is quite amazing. It's as if one great mind guided all 40 of these authors over a 1,500-year period to put together a coherent and cohesive work that does not contradict itself. Right? It's kind of like uh, the Star Wars series. For those of us who've enjoyed growing up watching the Star Wars series, there's, what, I think nine in that series now. Over a 40-year period, we've got nine epic movies. And as you watch it, you see there's one coherent theme. Dozens of prophecies that you may not have noticed are predicted and then fulfilled in the following movies. <clears throat> and you realize, wow, this is one coherent story, a unified theme. And we know that over a 40-year period, it was possible because there was one mastermind, George Lucas, who guided the entire series. That's what we seem to have when it comes 
to the Bible. There's no book with such diversity, yet with such great unity. Second, we have the indestructibility of the Bible. The Bible has been the most attacked book throughout history. For centuries, skeptics have tried to destroy the truth, integrity, and credibility of the Bible, and they continue to fail. Skeptics launch their attacks, but the Bible proves itself to be true again and again and again. Just the fact that it has gone under so much attack and yet proves itself to be a work of integrity again and again and again shows you there's something unique about this book. It's like Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall endure forever. <clears throat> my mentor, Dr. Norman Geisler, stated this, the Bible has suffered more vicious attacks than would be expected to be, to be made on such a book. Bible critics once regarded much of it as mythological, but archaeology has established it as historical. Antagonists have attacked its teachings as primitive, but moralists urge that its teachings on love be applied to modern society. Skeptics have cast doubts on its, on its authenticity, and yet more men are convinced of its truth today than ever. Attacks on the Bible continue to arise from science, psychology, and political movements, but the Bible remains undaunted. Just the fact that it has been attacked over the centuries and it comes back again and again and again to prove itself a work of integrity shows you there's something unique about this. You know, a good example is a book many of us may have read in high school by the French Institute of Science called 66 Errors in the Bible. And that pointed out 66 alleged errors and contradictions in the Bible. Well, through scientific discovery and historical research, none of those alleged errors remain. And you'll be hard-pressed to find that book in any library around the world. And yet the Bible still remains. Now, <clears throat> when you criticize other religious works, you may find or critique them, you may find numerous historical errors in there. For example, the Quran you will find numerous historical errors in the Quran, but when you critique it, what's their response? We'll kill you. All right? <clears throat> uh, but you can point out numerous errors there in the Quran. What do we, as Christians, say about the Bible? You want to attack it? Go right ahead. If it's God's word, it can stand for itself, and indeed, it has over 2,000 years. So we have the indestructibility of the Bible. Then we have the fun world of Bible prophecy. There's no book in the history of the world that has the prophetic legacy of the Bible. There's none. J. Barton Payne, in his book, Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, shows us that there's over 700 prophecies made in the Bible, most of which have come to pass. Of Jesus himself, there are over a hundred prophecies made of Christ which he fulfilled. <clears throat> now, here are some of the uh, fun prophecies here we'll study today. Just a few. 150 years before he was even born, Isaiah the prophet names Cyrus the Mede. He predicted Cyrus would destroy Babylon, subdue Egypt, and conquer the world. He also predicted Cyrus would let the Jews in his territory go home free without a ransom. 
150 years before this man is even born. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2 predicts the coming empires of the world centuries before they even arise. Jeremiah, here's an interesting prophecy. Jeremiah says that the Jewish people shall remain until the Lord returns. Okay, as long as we have the sun, the moon, and the stars, the Jews will be around until Christ remains. All right? If you told that to the Babylonians who demolished Israel and deported the Jews to Babylon, if you said your empire will one day be gone, but that tiny nation of Israel will remain, they would have laughed, but Babylon is gone. Israel is still here. If you said that to Rome, the nation that demolished Jerusalem and <coughs> scattered the people throughout the world for nearly 2,000 years, they would have laughed. But Rome is gone. Israel still remains. Just the fact that nation is here is living proof of Bible prophecy like this. I was speaking at the University of Hawaii, and a Jewish girl came up to me after a particular presentation, and she said, well, I don't believe a word you said. I said, oh, why not? She said, well, because I'm Jewish, and I'm an atheist. That proves Christianity is false. So I said, okay, explain that one a little bit to me. She said, well, I've memorized large parts of the Old Testament. I grew up in the Jewish tradition. If anyone should believe in God and the Bible, it should be me. But I don't. I'm an atheist. So Christianity cannot be true. So I said, are you sure you're Jewish? And she said, of course I know I'm Jewish. I can trace my lineage back to the tribe of Levi. I said, you're sure you're Jewish? She said, yes. I said, you're living proof of Bible prophecy. I said, your people, your country is living proof of biblical prophecy. And I showed her this Isaiah 31 prophecy. She was stunned. She had never seen it before. I said, just the fact that you're here, that your people are here, for nearly three millennia, is proof of Bible prophecy. Here's another one. <clears throat> Ezekiel 44 says that the east gate of Jerusalem shall remain shut until the Messiah returns. And when you go to Israel today, and you stand on the Mount of Olives and look at the east gate, you will see the east gate there. Guess what? It is slammed shut. It was closed by Sultan Suleiman in the 1500s, a Muslim who fulfilled Bible prophecy unknowingly. And also these white headstones here, these are Muslim graves meant to block the entrance of the Messiah from entering in through the East Gate. Of Jesus Christ, there are over 100 prophecies made of Christ centuries before he sets foot upon the earth and he fulfills each one. Specific prophecies like the city of his birth, his lineage that he would be a descendant of Abraham, more specifically from the line of King David, the kind of ministry he would have, the way he would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver, how he would die with his hands and feet pierced, the exact time of his death, all these things are predicted uh, over a uh, hundred years before he sets foot upon the earth. All right? Now, <clears throat> I was speaking on the radio, and an atheist called, and he said, well, maybe this guy Jesus was able to manipulate the situation so that he could be in the right place at the right time. 
And I said, if a guy can manipulate where he's going to be born, who his ancestors are, the, his specific lineage, the me exact manner of his death, I said, if a guy could manipulate all that, I said, this guy is God. <laughs> you ought to worship this guy. Hmm? Now, the probability of Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies by chance it's astronomical. It's almost a mathematical zero here. Okay, now how many prophecies are there of the coming of Muhammad? Zero. Of Buddha? Zero. Of Confucius? Zero. All right, but, but of Jesus Christ, we have over a hundred prophecies which he fulfills. Daniel chapter 2, I mean Daniel chapter 9, the 77s, predicts the exact day the Messiah is crucified. Okay, so some amazing prophecies regarding the life of Christ. No other book has this kind of prophetic legacy. And that's what you would expect being written by the hand of an eternal God who sees past, present, and future perfectly. Now, <clears throat> whenever I'm speaking on this, people will say, well, what about Nostradamus? Nostradamus predicting Napoleon, Hitler, 9-11, all these things. Read his book. Read his prophecies. You'll be really hard-pressed to find one there. And remember Deuteronomy 18. Biblical prophets must be correct 100% of the time. They got to bat 1,000. Nostradamus is filled with all kinds of false prophecies. Here's one. <clears throat> In century 10, Quatrain 72, Nostradamus said the world would come to an end in July of 1999 with the rise of the king of the Mongols, and that would bring the end of the world. <clears throat> well, that hasn't come to pass, along with several others. So there's no book that has the prophetic legacy as the Bible. How many prophecies does the Quran have? Zero. What about the oldest scriptures of Buddha, the Pali Canon? Zero. Hey, there's no other book that has this kind of prophetic legacy. Then we have the fun world of archaeology. There's no book that's as ancient that has literally thousands of archaeological discoveries that confirm its historical accuracy. Literally thousands of archaeological discoveries have been made that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. Hey, there's no book with that kind of historical confirmation. The dean of modern Middle Eastern archaeology is this guy, William Albright. And he said, <coughs> he said this, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament. Renowned Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluick says, as to the matter of fact, it may be stated no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. We have literally thousands of archaeological discoveries that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. Hey, there's no book that has that much historical confirmation. <clears throat> we'll just go over a few. Here's one, the Hittites. For hundreds of years, skeptics questioned the Bible because we never found the Hittite nation that was mentioned prominently throughout the Bible. Hey, a fierce warrior tribe, one of the first to develop iron chariots. Well, 
in the early 1900s. They were digging in northern Iraq, southern Turkey, and they found a great city. And they discovered a great library with thousands of clay tablets. And so they finally deciphered these tablets. And what they had found, they discovered, was Hattusas, the capital city of the Hittite Empire. And they had discovered the Hittites. And they also discovered that the Hittite language was the forerunner of the Indo-European languages. So the Hittite nation had been found. The skeptics were wrong. The Bible proved itself to be true again. By the way, if you're Chinese or Korean or Japanese or one of those, those are your forefathers, okay? the Hittites. Okay. <clears throat> Sargon, king of Assyria. Critics believed Isaiah's account of Sargon was mythological. Well, in 1842, his palace was discovered, and on the wall of his palace was a painting of the battle mentioned in Isaiah chapter 20. And there are some more. Uh, the famous winged bulls that you see on a lot of movies there are from Sargon's palace. Here's another interesting one. In 2 Kings chapter 19, it speaks of Sennacherib the Assyrian invading Jerusalem, demolishing northern Israel, deporting the people, then surrounding Jerusalem, and the righteous king Hezekiah prays on behalf of his people. And Isaiah the prophet says, By tomorrow you'll be plundering the camp of the Assyrians. And 2 Kings 19 says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Many thought that this was indeed a mythical fairy tale. Well, <clears throat> in the early 1900s, we discovered an octagon prism called Sennacherib's Prism. And on that records the history of Sennacherib himself. And of this event, he wrote this. And he mentions Hezekiah specifically, and that he captured the northern cities of Israel as mentioned in the Bible. And he lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And he writes of Hezekiah as the Hezekiah, like a caged bird, I shut him up in Jerusalem in his royal city. So he mentions Hezekiah and that he had surrounded him and had him trapped in Jerusalem like a caged bird. But he never mentions capturing Jerusalem or Hezekiah. He suddenly retreats and he goes back to Nineveh where he's assassinated by his sons as mentioned in the Bible. Well, how come he doesn't mention his great defeat? Well, kings back then don't mention those kind of things. All right? <clears throat> Yet this account matched the account in the Bible. Here, we have another interesting one. For centuries, people question whether David was a real historical figure because we've never found any reference to David outside of the Bible. Well, in 1993, a great plaque was discovered, a big black stele in northern Israel in Tel Dan. These are plaques that are put on government buildings and there were 13 lines on this plaque that could be read in Aramaic. <clears throat> it was dated to have been put up by Ben-Hadad, the king of Damascus, who conquered Israel, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 15, about 100 years after David. And on the plaque it reads, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, 
king of the house of David. So here, an enemy of Israel acknowledges that King David was a real historical person and that the kings of Israel are descendants of King David. A stunning discovery that surprised the world and made headlines throughout the world. Well, in northern Israel, in Caesarea Maritima, a great stadium was discovered in 1961. It was discovered who built this stadium. It was, guess who? Pontius Pilate, who built it in dedication to the emperor Tiberius, just as mentioned in the Gospels. In 68, we discovered a man who was crucified. His name was still on the ossuary, Ben Johann Hagagel. The six-inch nails were still driven in his ankle right there. That's the reconstruction. His shoulder blades were worn down, obviously pulling himself up and down to breathe, as described of Jesus in the Bible. In 1990, in a royal chamber in Jerusalem, we discovered the ossuary of Caiaphas, the head priest who sentenced Jesus to death. And so as you can see, we can spend all afternoon here going over the thousands of archaeological discoveries that confirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. No book with that kind of historical confirmation. How much archaeology do we have to confirm the Book of Mormon? None. How much do we have to confirm the Quran? None. In fact, scholars now are even questioning whether Muhammad really existed. And yet in the Bible, we have thousands of discoveries that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. Then we have science and the scriptures. Now, the Bible is not a scientific book. It's written pre-science. But what it says about the created order, only recently science has confirmed to be true. For nearly 250 years, scientists believed the universe was eternal, thus allowing a Darwinian evolutionary process an infinite amount of time to take place. Well, we have discovered we were wrong. The universe has a beginning, all right? Einstein's theory of relativity states that time, matter, and energy are interconnected. Can't have one without the other. In other words, the universe exploded into being out of nothing. And recent scientific discovery has confirmed that. We call that the Big Bang, right? <clears throat> um, the radiation echo discovered by Penzias and Wilson. Einstein's theory of relativity. The red shift discovered by Edwin Hubble all confirm the universe has a beginning. Well, that's what the Bible taught over two millennia ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word there is bara. Out of nothing, God created the universe. That the universe has expanded into place. Okay? Edwin Hubble and his discovery of the redshift shows that even now, the galaxies are moving apart, just as the Bible stated. That the earth is round. Right? The Greeks believed that the earth was flat, was like a plate, and it rested on water. Job 26 teaches that the earth hangs all by itself in space. Right? <clears throat> the Indians believed, uh, those in India, they believed that the earth rested on the back of two giant turtles. The Greeks believed that the earth was flat and rested like a plate on water. 
Or a large man held up the earth. His name was? Atlas. Yeah. But the Bible taught that the earth hangs by itself in space. <clears throat> that the universe was custom made for human life. The anthropic principle. One of the hottest principles now. That things not only went right in our galaxy, but the forces in the universe had to be just right in order for us to have life here upon this earth. Okay? Hottest principle in science now, the anthropic principle, taught on in Psalm 8. Okay? That the sea has passed, the hydraulic cycle. Numerous things the Bible talks about, about our created order, science has recently discovered to be true. Then we have Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ claimed to be the divine son of God and confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Now, time doesn't allow me to go into all of that. Uh, that'll have to be for next time. But in the New Testament, we have a very accurate historical record of the life of Christ. The evidence is quite compelling. It's written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses it gives us a very accurate record of the life of Christ who claimed to be the one and only divine Son of God and confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is the only man who prophesied and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead. And the evidence for the resurrection is quite compelling. We've debated that. I have, <clears throat> along with uh, my other friends who are far more scholar than I am, who have gone up against some of the great minds uh, around the world, and the evidence for the resurrection has never been beat. So Jesus Christ, who confirmed his claim to be the divine Son of God, then affirms the authority of the New Old Testament directly and affirms the authority and inspiration of the New Testament indirectly. Since he is God in the flesh, what he taught was true, and he confirmed the authority of the Old Testament directly and the New Testament indirectly. <laughs> so those are some of the evidences for the authority and inspiration of the Bible. Well, what are some practical applications we can draw from the things that we have studied today? Well, number one, what you have in your hands here is indeed the divine Word of God. Claims to be the Word of God, and it's the only book that gives supernatural confirmation of its claims. God confirms His message and messengers with acts of God or miracles, and the Bible alone presents its case with supernatural claims of confirmation. Second, the Bible, from beginning to end, is indeed the inspired Word of God. 17.3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, literally the breath of God. When we breathe on a mirror, we get fog. Okay? When God breathed, we got the Bible. This is indeed the Word of God. <clears throat> Third, since this is the Word of God, any teaching contrary to what the Bible teaches then is ultimately false. And finally, the Bible is not only meant to be read, 
It's meant to be applied and transform your life. And Hebrews 4.12 says, this is the living word. All right? And literally, when you apply it in your life and you see the principles and the teachings come to pass, this book literally comes to life. Hey, it literally becomes the living word as you apply it and see its truth come to reality in your daily life. It becomes the living word. Well, for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've heard of the compelling evidence for the Bible, for the existence of God, and, and for Jesus Christ. And we went through a lot of information. You want to know where you can get more information? You can go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. There's a host of radio shows to listen to by top scholars, articles that you can read all for free. And if you'd like a resource, we have one outside there, a book I wrote, Unless I See, covering some of the compelling evidence we have for <laughs> the existence of God, Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, and the Bible, the Word of God, if you want more information. So what we have here in the Bible is indeed the Word of God, from God, given to us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Patrick. Excellent. Real foundation. And for some of you, you believe the Bible. This may strengthen your faith to believe it and to share it. For some of you, it may be that you've had real doubts about it. And uh, the book that Patrick's written, Until I See, it's a quote from Thomas, the doubter, who said to the other disciples, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I put my fingers in the wound in his side, I will not believe. And um, Jesus knew he was doubter. And uh, when he met Thomas on resurrection ground, he's already risen, he didn't rebuke Thomas for his unbelief or his doubt. He provided evidence. He said, check it out. You know, put your fingers in these prints and in the wound in my side. And Thomas did. And he fell to his knees. And he said, my Lord and my God. And so I think it's really great that Jesus invites us, even with our doubts and questions, to come. Check out the evidence. And when we do, we'll worship him, just as Thomas did. And so... We're going to share the elements of communion in just a moment, and this is our opportunity just uh, figuratively to fall to our knees and thank Jesus for who he is and for what he's done, going to the cross for us, giving his life that we might be forgiven.